Hi, I'm Greg Jackson, owner of Action J Productions, and you are at the point of learning with my friend and former high school English teacher, Peter Horn. Today, Pete is talking with Britt Schumann-Humbert, a registered dietitian whose YouTube show, RD Unfiltered, I produce and edit. I'd say I'm excited to hear what they'll be discussing, but I already know it's good because I listened in on their whole Zoom session. I've been in touch with Pete at various points over the 22 years since I graduated high school, including reaching out after his interview with conductor Joanne Folletta last fall, which brought me back some happy memories for me about the power of music, especially when I was a little kid. When Point of Learning joined Patreon, I was one of the first to join, it's true that I pledge on the collaborator tier, but that's not the reason I've recently literally collaborated with Pete, consulting on recent episodes and helping to create this one. I do that because I believe in this podcast all about what and how and why we learn. If you'd like to join me, hit pause for just a second and visit patreon.com slash point of learning podcast. Thank you and enjoy the show. Today's show. Diets do not work. They do not work. They never have, and they never probably will. Clinical dietitian Britt Schumann Humbert. We talk about her fabulous YouTube cooking series featuring tasty, balanced recipes for real people. People just want to feel good and they want to be healthier and they just want to figure out how do I take my crazy life and here's my health issues. And here's my family's health issues. And how do I all put this together and not feel bad that I didn't have everybody eating kale and tofu for dinner? Britt has extensive experience working alongside mental health professionals to treat eating disorders. The highest level of your relationship with food can be is where you look at food and it's not, do I deserve this? Do I not deserve this? Am I allowed to eat this? Should I eat this? Is this against the rules? Whatever the torment is in your brain. Her YouTube show is called RD Unfiltered and she is a registered dietitian who speaks her mind. I would love to teach children about sex, about drugs, about stranger danger, about guns. They should learn this as early as possible. But what I really want is I want them to not learn about calories until they're 21 years old. (laughs) Coming up, the toxic messages we can unwittingly transmit to kids, how your liver is really in charge, nutritional support for trans youth and adults, and so much more. All right, here's the show. Brett Schumann-Humbert is a clinical dietitian with over 25 years of experience in the field of clinical nutrition. Growing up not too far from where I am in New York State, Britt is a graduate of Syracuse University, who's board certified in pediatrics and sports nutrition. And she's currently preparing for additional certification in strength and conditioning, studying how exercise and food interact. As a dietitian, she's worked with a wide range of clients and patients, from little kids and athletes to people living with cancer and diabetes and various kidney conditions, to name a few. She came onto my radar, though, as a cook who happens to know a lot about nutrition. I knew I wanted to speak with her after watching many episodes of her fantastic YouTube series, RD Unfiltered, and trying more than a few of the delicious recipes she guides viewers through in a laid-back, no-nonsense, playful style that would make me feel comfortable in the kitchen even if I didn't love cooking already. I've made her maximum protein mac and cheese and air fried chicken wings without the air fryer. Those are actual video titles. Both great. And when it comes to wings, remember I grew up here in sunny Buffalo. Okay. Robin made her double chocolate peanut butter banana bread uh, even yummier and far healthier than you imagine, which we both loved pretty much inhaling it in two days. But maybe I'm most grateful for her video, How to Roast a Turkey, No Apologies, which I studied last December 25th when I found myself hosting Christmas dinner for the first time in my 45 years. 
tender, tasty, juicy, and maybe almost as pleasant, no basting. We'll get back to her YouTube show in just a few minutes. But I wanted to start with Britt's day job as a clinical dietitian who collaborates with two mental health professionals at Oak City Psychology in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is a practice that specializes in supporting people with eating disorders, as well as those who identify as LGBTQ+. So Britt, welcome. So good to have Thank you here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Let's... I'm extremely excited to be here. Well, let's start big picture. Um, according to a 2019 independent market research study, around 97 million people in the U.S., mostly women, have set weight loss as their major goal. This morning, I searched the term nutrition diet books, and Google took less than two seconds to yield about 248 million results, just about nutrition and diet books without even considering online webinars or TikTok videos dispensing diet advice. Mm -hmm. There are lots of places to get nutritional information. So asking, as somebody who has never worked with a dietitian or a nutritionist, what's the benefit of consulting one-on-one -on -one with a trained professional, uh, as opposed to reading a book, say, written for a general audience? Well, you know, one of the things that I really think would help nutrition in general is I really wish there were more registered dietitians out there in the universe. Um, nutrition is very personal. It is like a thumbprint. And how you grow up, what your personal preferences are, what you have done as far as your, your health, your exercise, what you have not done, um, you know, what kind of medications you take, what your activity or stress level is during the day, what your genetic makeup might be. All of these things make up who you are and actually create a nutrition profile for a registered dietitian. And so when you take a book off a shelf and you open it up, the odds are that that book is going to have the right information for you is extremely low. And at best, what you will do is try to conform your life into something that it's not and it doesn't really fit, and you're going to end up considering yourself a failure and that you have a lack of willpower and that it makes you feel bad. And then there is a cascade of events that occurs from restricting and so on that comes down, and then it compromises your health even further. And usually you end up with even more weight gain or more health problems than when you started in the first place. So that is why I strongly recommend you find a registered dietitian to help anybody or yourself to improve your nutritional status and your health. Well, so this is a significant chance that it's not only not going to be as helpful as it could, it could actually backfire. It's, it, it will backfire. It, wow. it almost always backfires. You said that you really started to get interested in nutrition in your teens, um, which is when some what some call diet culture was really starting to take hold in the U.S. Um, you know, like like Weight Watchers, now known as WW, uh, has been around since the yeah. 60s. But around that time you were in high school, there was a vast proliferation of diet systems and plans and scams uh, coming from all over. I think I'm pretty close to your age, and I remember the ads, mm -hmm. you know, all over TV promising miracles. Do, do you think that, you know, again, what, what some call diet culture uh, is, is partially to blame for the now widespread sense of food having a moral value that there's, you know, there's good food and there's bad food? Yes, just absolutely yes. Um, so in the 1980s, and actually... It's, it's kind of really funny. So when I talk to my patients with eating disorders, we sort of, we call them, we call them ed, okay? We call it, we create like it's an alternative. Oh, for eating disorder. Yeah. Eating. A, 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 like a, and we create like a different persona of this, of a person that's fighting it. I'm like, oh, that's ed talking or something. Quite often, the way I envision ed in my mind is as a, 1980s registered dietitian 
<laughs> where, where, you know, we have made eggs completely taboo and something has fat in it, or you're not supposed to do this. And you have all these rules that create, you know, that came out of the 1980s and, you know, you know, milk went completely skim and all, everything was like no fat and it, it just went crazy and it was exercise all the time. And that's about, if you look, you will see that's right where obesity and, you know, people with issues with weight and diabetes and stuff really started to rise. It's right at that time because we started to deprive ourselves a little bit more than we probably should have. So back to your question, I, I think, yes, there's absolutely a diet culture and it's not going away. It's getting worse with social media and TikTok and these types of things that now the teenagers are looking at all the time. So when I chose to become a registered dietitian, I was, you know, 16, 17, and it was just, it was late 80s. Yes, we're about the same age. Um, and so... I grew up, my mother actually is super awesome. And I talk about her all the time in, wonderful in our YouTube baker. videos. Yes, wonderful baker. You know, she's also like one of 10 kids and she grew uh -huh. up on a farm and they didn't have soda. They didn't have candy bars. They didn't get those things. They grew up poor. They, you know, they just had what they had. And so as a response to that, I actually grew up having a lot of candy bars and a lot of soda because it was things that she did not have as a child. And actually that is a very typical response in parenting for, for children. Like you, you give your child what you kind of really valued yourself or missed as a child. Um, and so, yeah, so I started to get into nutrition when I realized I could get a candy bar in my, my lunchbox and the other kids would be like, Oh, that's not good for you and stuff. And my mom was doing me a great service in a way, you know, I was fine. I was perfectly healthy. I was running around, but I never actually created a feeling of taboo around soda or a candy bar or chocolate. I mean, I love that stuff, but I can take it or leave it. Like it doesn't, and it wasn't actually until I became a dietitian that I started, and we'll talk about those in like the YouTube videos too, where I do like terrible things to chocolate chip cookies and try to make them fat free or something like that. So yeah, so that's how I became a dietitian and how I made mistakes as a dietitian and how the diet culture is still there. Long story short, but yeah. Well, when you, when you, talked about like uh, messages that you, the kids can internalize. I, would, yeah. I have to say that when we spoke together last month to kind of just uh, brainstorm a little bit and spitball about what we might talk about today, one of the things you said that really gave me pause was that nutrition as a topic can be, quote, lethal, unquote, in some instances, be, you know, if somebody says the wrong thing to a child and they internalize it. Could you elaborate that uh, on that a little bit? They, it can be, it can be anything, and it can be completely um, benign and meant a certain way, um, and it doesn't even have to be towards them. For example, you, you know, as an adult, you might, you might say, you know, oh, you know, I'm not going to have any more carbs today. I way overdid it for breakfast or something like that. Or it, and it could be an innocent diet reference that you have, that a child sitting next to you wasn't intended for them at all, but they could hear it and they can process it. And they're going to be like, oh, those pancakes I had for breakfast were bad for me. That was not good. So I shouldn't have bread now. And they start to process because they're just trying to figure out the world. And so they're trying to get the answers to some of these questions. And so, and it can be a real problem. And you can have children as young as 10, 11, you know, concerned about carbohydrates. So that it's, it can be extremely dangerous. Yes. The, uh this is, this is one of the things that I think is an interesting point, because I think when, when, when many of us, you know, when we think about eating disorders, I think a lot of us assume that like teenage girls are very much at risk, you know, because partially, you know, with large part to the barrage of messages, particularly about female body image, you know, that they've been exposed to through various media. 
um, since before they were old enough to speak. And of course, toxic messages can come from family and friends as well. Uh, but recently, a friend of mine wrote a very powerful blog post about her family's struggle with the disordered eating of a child that started well before the child was 10. Um, what are some, you know, especially because this is something that a lot of us may not be aware of or attuned to, what, what are some of the warning signs of possible eating disorders for younger, for younger kids? Um, uh, ritualistic behaviors is a big one. I think when you see, um, when you see young kids suddenly get very involved in making meals in the kitchen, um, people are often very proud of that. Oh, my daughter who's nine makes dinner for everybody and she made us zucchini taco boats and stuff. I start, I start looking at that. I start thinking about that. Um, so it's like ritualistic behaviors or if they start asking about serving sizes and they start weighing their food. They won't eat their food unless they know how many calories is in that, that item. Sometimes you'll see kids just choose prepackaged foods because they know the calories are on there. So it could be that they're eating just wrappers. Um, if they start, they start having negative self-talk about their body that's, you know, they feel like they're, they're complaining about the size of their shoulders or their belly or their legs or, um, another really interesting one is, um, if they start making really interesting foods in the kitchen that are missing an ingredient, for example, they're trying to make muffins, but there's no flour in them and there's no fat in them and there's no sugar in them. Um, different, different things is like that. that. A, Those that are the a, is new Is that a muffin signs. though? It, <laughs> it's muffin? not a muffin, but it's a, it, you know, one of the other things, like one of the, not a patient. This was just a, a, you know, random kid asking me a question the other day. She's like, you know, I saw that you can make chicken on TikTok using flour and water. I'm like, chicken, you can make chicken out of flour and water on TikTok. She's like, yeah, I saw it on TikTok. So that, that's gotta be true. So these are the things that are now hitting us, which makes it a brave new world that we have to, um, navigate stuff like that. Yeah. So, that, uh, yeah. I wanted to thank you so much for that, uh, for that detail about like how they're making recipes. Cause of course, you know, you could see you know, some kids just getting involved in cooking and, you know, really mm -hmm. enjoying it and still making the same kinds of recipes, you know, that yeah. they grew up with. And that is something, so there, that there are other, some, some twists, you know, if, to it, if, you know, if, if it it's feels a twist, like they're taking control of the mealtime or yeah. Okay. Exactly. It's, it's not that they're making dinner. If they're making dinner and they have used butter and white flour and that's the recipe and they're just, cause they want to make dinner. That's great. Two things. One, did they eat it or did they just make it for you? That can be a sign, so that's one sign. But two, if they didn't use regular butter and flour and they used a banana and they found something on TikTok and it's low carb or keto or something like that, that's when you start like asking questions. Like, what, why, what brought you to think that this was a good idea to make this. So that kind of thing. One more question about your practice, because you, yeah. you, you work alongside, you work with two mental health professionals, right? In a practice right. that specializes mm -hmm. in supporting people, um, not only with eating disorders, but also people who identify as LGBTQ plus, right? Correct. Like, but like many people, I've been thinking a lot about trans kids, um, mm -hmm. you know, in, in recent weeks as so many states are pushing right. misguided, misguided laws and regulations that put yes. this especially vulnerable population of young people. And in some cases, their health providers at real risk, um, even though the supporters purport to be protecting children. But keeping our focus on food and eating, I wanted to ask whether you were consulted as a clinical a dietitian with those LGBTQ plus clients uh, who are at your practice. And just to back up or some for some context for you, 
20 years ago when I was working at Westfield High School in New Jersey, uh, where I met your producer. Um, we were we were starting the first gay straight alliance in our in the county this is like year 2000 which became a safe space for kids uh from all throughout the region um part of the case we made when we were doing that part of the case we made to our colleagues was that lgbt youth were at greater risk of suicide uh depression drug abuse homelessness even pregnancy um, and, and, and that's why we were making the case for why WHS needed a gay-straight alliance. Um, we, we said to those colleagues, you know, we know you care about kids. These kids are at greater risk. This isn't about a possible, like, moral objection to homosexuality, for instance. This is about your moral commitment to all kids. So do you find that, that, that people who identify as LGBTQ plus are also at greater risk for, for example, disordered eating. Um, and, you know, coupled with that, is your approach as a dietitian any different? Yes, they are at much greater risk for disordered eating uh, and eating disorders um, because, you know, their body and how they feel about their body and where their body is in relation to their mind or what they want to be can be at odds especially when they are young. Um, and so it is, it is a problem. In addition to that, being a registered dietitian, in treating a patient that is trans, how they identify, you know, if you think about the calculations that are used when we determine energy levels, when we determine estimated calorie needs. There uh -huh. is one, you know, let's take the Harris-Benedict equation. This has a male and a female version. And you have to ask these, aren't male, female, all the way down the line. There are very few, with the exception of another one, it's called the Cunningham equation, which then you have to obtain like, body composition, which means you have to determine how much body fat they have, which is definitely mm. not appropriate. Um, so treating somebody that is, um, that is trans and potentially identifies with a different gender from when they were born, um, you don't want to you don't want to put them male or female. And they may be hor taking hormones at this point that makes them a different that are physically changing their energy usage. So how to manage this? We use um, something called indirect calorimetry, which is actually considered the gold standard for determining energy needs. And what that is, is a, it's actually very unexciting. It looks like a, it looks like the size of a toaster. And what it is, is a is kind of like a tube and it measures and it goes over your mouth and your nose and it measures how much carbon dioxide and oxygen you use for a period of time. And from those numbers, we can extrapolate exactly how many calories your body burns, regardless if you have thyroid issues, if you've been on diets your whole life, if you're taking, um, estrogen or if you're taking testosterone, I get real numbers based on your body and I don't have to know what, what sex you identify with. It's just your body. These are your numbers. And so by doing that, we can actually treat the person as the person and they don't have to identify one way or another. So that's really what makes, um, us unique in providing nutrition counseling for this community. If you have a young child that identifies uh, that, well, that is trans regardless, and they need to see a dietitian, and they often do for just the reasons you said, they are at higher risk for depression, they are at higher risk for all kinds of mental um, health issues, as well as eating disorders. And so just being able to calculate their estimated needs and being able to provide them with a healthy diet and have them, you know, feel body positive and take care of their body is, is the ultimate goal. So.
right, shifting gears. Booze. You Good said, <laughs> right? You said <laughs> another round. Okay, no, I'll wait. Uh, you said when we talked last month that part of the misunderstanding many people have about working out uh, is that we're under the impression that we can all that we can almost choose what our bodies burn for fuel. Like mm. I'm going to run this morning, so I'm going to mm -hmm. burn some fat. You know, instead you explained it's your liver uh, that decides. The yeah. liver decides if the body is going to burn carbs or fat or muscle or I imagine metabolize alcohol if mm -hmm. it's in the body at any given time. Do I have, I have that right? Sounds like, yes, okay. Yes. So hypothetical, let's say I have a couple cocktails, some Saturday evening. All right. Okay. I get to bed by midnight, say, and get up for like an 8.30 Mark Fisher fitness or Sean Blakesley training session on Zoom. I have water and coffee before I work out, but that's it. What is, what's my liver going to do? Um, well, it depends. Uh, okay. it, it really does depend on what else you did the day before as far as nourishing your body. Um, and how hard that, that particular workout is going to be for you. So, and what I mean by that is there is a whole like spectrum of how you burn fuel based on your heart rate and how intense that is. And the higher your intensity goes, the more likely you are burning carbohydrate for fuel, the more likely you are what we call anaerobic, um, where you're, you're actually burning, um, carbohydrate. Um, now alcohol specifically for this, um, if you've only had two cocktails, if you really only had two, and it's been several hours later, it's pretty much been worked through your system. However, you could be, and very likely are, a little dehydrated. And as much as 2% of a change in body weight will cause a change in how well you can exercise. And so what that means is, is that what you normally find easy, you find a lot more difficult. And because you find it more difficult, you actually burn less fat and burn more carbohydrate. Does that make any sense? It does. It does. Okay. That's the, that's the, so if you, if you were doing something that would be a little bit easier for you, you might get into the fat because you'd still be doing aerobic Correct. respiration. Yes, right? you would still be using and, aerobic respiration. And does the and does the uh, amount of water, like having that before the workout or you know before well, you go to bed, say is that is that going to affect that or? Yeah, what? if you are well hydrated before you go to bed and you've been drinking a lot of water, um, and you wake up and you drink um, a good, you know half a liter, you know, two, 16 ounces of water, you know, about an hour before you actually go to exercise. Don't do it any closer than that because then it's just kind of sitting and sloshing around in your gut and it's not yeah. really giving you any, <laughs> any, any, you know, yeah, yeah. benefit, but any performance benefit. But so if you, if you do, then yeah, you're probably going to be, um, okay. Now, if you drink alcohol after you work out, there is a lot of research that shows that it actually inhibits the ability for your body to build muscle or repair muscle, which is actually what you want to happen when you work out. So uh. that's something to keep in mind too. So if you worked out that day and you're planning to go have some cocktails later that afternoon, know that it may not be as effective as a workout if you hadn't. All right, that, that's because that's just a little depressing. I'm going to move on to Sorry. your fabulous show. I know. No, just, <laughs> just kidding. Dietitian no, that, can be depressing. No, it does. No, it makes it makes sense and it's helpful to know. On to your fabulous show on YouTube. The show is called RD Unfiltered. As in registered dietitian giving it to you straight. At least that's how I take it. Um, and people can check it out by searching that on YouTube and or visiting and subscribing to your channel, Brit RD. That's Brit with two mm -hmm. T's. 
As I said earlier, the show is totally delightful with no-nonsense, healthy, but delicious recipes presented in like 10 minutes or less for soups, desserts, uh, quick weeknight meals, weeknight meals, great holiday classics like roast turkey and ham, or cranberry sorbet with Prosecco. Mm -hmm. A recent episode compared two chilies, uh, one made with beef and one with a beef substitute. And you had some interesting information about how the body... Uh, metabolizes the, the like vegetable-based protein a little differently from beef-based mm -hmm. protein. There's even a, a one 38-second gem called Pizza Happens, <laughs> where you announce that there will be no nutritioning or cooking because you're spent and you're just going to order in some pizza. Now, that's an obvious outlier, but it totally fits with your vibe that this is about like real food solutions for real people who lead real lives that don't always allow time for a home-cooked meal, even yeah. an easy home-cooked meal. And I want to note that you usually include some message about nutrition or food science as you work through a recipe, but it never feels like anything approaching you know, a, a lecture. Uh, for instance, in an, a recent installment called uh, Strawberry Shortcake and Other Dessert Discussions, yeah. You emphasize that dessert should be considered part of the meal, like not a reward for cleaning your plate, for instance, but part of the meal. And in your demo of split pea soup uh, with ham, you mentioned how important it is for kids to see adults eating different kinds of food, but it never feels preachy. So at, this is a lead up to say like after a quarter century in nutrition, why did you decide to make this show? Um, so the unfiltered part, we had originally planned to have a lot more swearing or cursing in the show, but it just, I just didn't feel the need. So we haven't done any of that, but the, so I feel like now the RD unfiltered is you're right. I'm actually just sharing how I live. I'm sharing how, how does a dietitian really live. We are not the food police. We actually order <laughs> pizza and eat and eat strawberry shortcake because it tastes good. Um, yeah, so that's, that's really the, the, the purpose of it, I think at this point, um, with, with kids. So with kids, here's, here's the thing. It's called Ellen Satter's Division of Responsibility. And here's where we all screwed it up, you know, and we got it all broken. Is that we, when they're babies, we are taught to trust the child. Like they say, you know, your baby will tell you when he's hungry. Your baby will tell you when they're not. Like, don't worry about it. Your baby will let you know. Actually, they have those internal cues up until easily the age of eight years old. And it's called eating competency or Ellen Satter's division of responsibility where the kids, you just have to trust them and they will sometimes eat a tremendous amount and sometimes they won't. And we, that's why we don't want them to clean their plate. Um, and, you know, don't get too crazy about it. Don't get caught up in the whole craziness about everything, all the hype on the books, all the hype on, on the internet, even though, I'm on the internet, you're on the internet, we're all on the internet. Um, but it, you know, it's just, you know, it's okay. Pizza is allowed, you know, dessert tastes good and you want to eat it. It could be where if you're feeding a child who probably didn't eat a lot of dinner, this way you might be able to use some vanilla yogurt and have them crush some Oreo cookies into it and have them eat that. It enhances their texture, it enhances their calcium intake, their protein intake, and they think you're a hero because you gave them dessert. So it, it, it's that kind of stuff. It's like everybody needs to just take a breath. So that's what the unfiltered means now. And, and, I, and I thought one of the things, you know, I was thinking about it as I was preparing for this interview, and especially it reminded me when you said we're both on the internet, um, you know, that they're, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a similar, pro I mean, like, for example, the way I describe this podcast is, it's, you know, it's a show about what and how and why we learn. Um, but part of the reason that I wanted to make it was to be able to communicate some of the most important ideas that I've figured out about 
what and how and why we learn with a larger audience. That is to say, larger than any given class that I would have mm -hmm. or any given group of colleagues, you know, that I could do at one time so that, you know, people who might be interested in some of these things about a range of topics um, could have access, you know, uh, to them asynchronously, as we say. And I wondered if there was a little bit of a comparison, which is to say you figured out some stuff, some things that you found yourself saying or ideas that you've relied on or perhaps refined, you know, over the course of your professional, uh, you know, clinical experience. And this is a way to almost like, you know, I mean, maybe a lump of sugar makes the medicine go down. I mean, you are sharing valuable nutritional information, but it's, you know, but it's presented in these recipes. So I wondered if that was, you know, kind of part uh, consciously part of the project for you too, to have that those ideas find a wider audience than just the students you might be teaching at the time or clients you might be working with. Um, you know, I wondered if that was part of it because I certainly, it, you know, I certainly end up learning. It is. It's for, it's, it's for, it's for everyone. It's just, it's those things, you know, I've sat with thousands of people, you know, just, you know, Hey, like kind of open door, come tell me, you know, what kind of nutrition questions you have. And there does seem to be a little bit of a pattern of, you know, I'm, people just want to feel good and they want to be healthier and they just want to figure out how do I take my crazy life and here's my health issues and here's my family's health issues and how do I all put this together and not feel bad that I didn't have everybody eating kale and tofu for dinner. You know, you know, that's the kind of thing where, um, that's what the internet's doing to us. And it's not, everybody needs to like take a breath, like strawberry shortcake and pizza are great. There's no reason that you can't. And we actually find that when you start giving yourself permission and you take a breath and you relax into it, people's health improves, their body composition changes. They actually stop, they actually stop trying to diet and they actually lose body fat and they feel better and their blood pressure goes down and their blood sugars are well controlled. It, it, it's called intuitive eating. And that's why diet dietitians all the time say diets do not work. They do not work. They never have and they never probably will. That's one of the things that I recalled from when we talked about, um, you know, when we chatted last month, that you want to give people permission to like what they're eating, um, but also that your show, you you, you know, uh, again, based on your professional clientele, that you also want it to be a safe space for kids, for example, with eating disorders or ballet dancers and everybody else. Um, and this is to circle back to that calorie question. Because I notice you don't talk in specific terms about calories, for example, like how many calories might be in a serving of a given dish. And I'm fairly certain that's a that's an intentional choice, right? It is intentional. Uh, well, I think when we were first starting out, we started to include some of them and we were doing some more traditional and and then we push that to the side. And like that's not that's not what we want. We want to make this safe space because there are not a lot of safe spaces for patients um, with eating disorders. We don't do that. But you know what they are? They're balanced. They are healthy. Even the strawberry shortcake one that I did for dessert has strawberries in it. It's high in vitamin C. You know, yes, there's a biscuit mix, but it's a really cool biscuit that we make that and they're not you know they're not out of control and it's delicious and it makes you happy and guess what then you're not you know secretly eating a bag of chips or doing some other crazy things with it so that's really how i i like to think of it um one of the things that i say a lot is i love i would love to teach children about sex, about drugs, about stranger danger, about guns. They should learn this as early as possible. But what I really want is I want them to not learn about calories until they're 21 years old. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
that's that's what I really want. They should not learn about calories until they are much older. Oh man, outside of chemistry class, for example. But those are different. Ooh. Yeah, different kinds of calories. Yeah. This is one of the ways that I think, like in terms of getting healthier, as a you know, as a, where food is so much different than, say, a you know, a, a habit like tobacco. You know, mm-hmm. which you can just you can cut out. It's hard, but you can just cut it out of your life and you'll be okay. You can't not not eat. You know, you're going to have to eat. And so your relationship with food can't be one of complete like denial uh, and feeling like self-abnegation all the time. Um, Or you're going to, you know, snap. And I guess that's the the rationale behind, you know, diets not working um, or too restrictive a diet not working. Uh, Yeah. Um, You know, anorexia is has the highest mortality rate among all of the mental illnesses Hmm. and so the hardest thing about treating someone with an eating disorder is you can't take food and take it out of their life you have to bring it into their lives and you have to constantly talk about it and challenge them and bring them back to safety and many people in the United States do have what we call disordered eating. They're not necessarily do they have an eating disorder, but they do have um, um, they have disordered eating. And there are situations where they are afraid of food or where if they're going to eat this piece of cake, well, I have to go to the gym tomorrow and I'm going to have to burn 400 more calories to compensate for this piece of cake, which by the way, is the definition of purging. So um, yeah, like those are the things that make it very, very difficult to treat eating disorders or improving on habits. So giving people permission to just like what they like and take a step back and take a breath and learn to eat when they're hungry and eat the cookie because they want the cookie, not because the cookie is forbidden, is taboo, or they're eating the cookie because they're dehydrated or they're eating the cookie because they haven't had any protein because they're trying to be vegan. Whatever the reason that you might want to go for the cookie. I want it to be the cookie because you know what? The chocolate chip cookie tastes good and you want to eat it. And once you have one, it felt good and that's great. And maybe you want to, great. If you don't, great also. Get a glass of milk. You know, that's that's it. Like, that's what we want it to be. We want food to be like, like air. It's neutral. You need to, you can enjoy some things and you can dislike other things. But that's hopefully the ultimate objective, the highest level of your relationship with food can be is where you look at food and it's not, do I deserve this? Do I not deserve this? Am I allowed to eat this? Should I eat this? Is this against the rules? Whatever the torment is in your brain, um, we got to get to the point where you're just eating the food. And there are things we call, we call them fear foods, where people are just absolutely terrified to eat a piece of whole grain bread or a slice of pizza or ice cream or put sugar in a cup of tea. Like these are just terrifying things to them and they're truly afraid of those things. I haven't watched lots of cooking shows. I do enjoy some great British British Bake Off every once in a while, and I definitely had I definitely had an well, I, I had an Iron Chef moment uh, when the Japanese version first came to the U.S. I mean, it was just crazy. But but mostly, I never I never really got down with Emeril or Rachel Ray or any of those. And I think sometimes it was because the cooking experience seemed so artificial. Uh, you know, like this recipe calls for a half cup of chopped onion. Look over there. It's a prep bowl yeah. with a half cup of chopped onion, like ready to pick right. up. You know, almost always everything comes off without a hitch and the finished product looks like it's ready to be photographed for a magazine. In other words, it's kind of hard for the home cook to try themselves and not end up feeling a little inadequate. 
Okay, and then there's you, Brett, getting in there. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> you know, chopping your own onions. Okay, often in yep. time lapse, but at least we'd see what's involved. Yeah. Uh, when the stuff goes wrong, you roll with it. Uh, uh-huh. When you when you reached for a bag of tortilla chips recently, you discovered that your kids had eaten half of it. Totally. Right. <laughs> Maybe my favorite example comes from the roast turkey procedure, which involves. <laughs> You know, you don't baste it. Like, you don't, you get out of basting it, but you do have to, like, flip the bird at one point, which you say, and I believe you, you usually do without incident. And I was able to do humble drag, uh, humble brag by your host. Uh, I was able to do that when I tried it. Okay. Nice. But when you tried, but when you tried to flip it for the video, the bird <laughs> just full on fell apart, right? And as if you were channeling Julia Childs, you know, you were like, oh, no harm. No foul. No one's going to know. Like, I'm carving it anyway. It's going to taste great. Uh-huh. Um, so it's like a reality show, except, you know, it's it's real. Um, it's, so in addition to being absolutely endearing and I think encouraging, uh, you know, I'm assuming that this vibe um, is quite intentional, that you want people to be okay with what happens in there. All right. Well, I got to be honest. You know, I, I don't intend the turkey to come apart. <laughs> well, not, when I'm in the middle. Well, like, no, not that the, the turkey foul. So, but, but like the, the way you respond to it, you know, and like, they're like, the, you know, it's not that's a, that it's just, not a crisis, you know. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's not a, this is cooking. This is, this is real life cooking. You're going to yeah. open a bag of chips or you're going to think <laughs> you have a bag of chips and you discover you only have half a bag of chips because there's other people in the house or like, yeah, you pull the bird apart and it literally comes apart or, you know, <laughs> my, okay. I got, I got to tell the story. So, Please. you know, the story is, you know, for, for starters, I'm not a talented cook. If there's no talent, it's practice. So I'm making dinner for the first time for my boyfriend, future husband, who's French, right? (laughs) And so he's French. And I'm making him French onion soup and this garlicky like scallops and shrimp dish. And he's coming over and I'm like cooking the onions in my not cast iron skillet but a regular like non-stick fry pan in my first apartment and it says caramelized for two and a half hours slap that pan down high heat put my onions in there moved them around and let them cook for two and a half hours like that i made a bowl of ashes i never tasted them so then i'm like putting the beef broth in and the wine and i melt the cheese over the top and of course i never tasted the food because why would i taste it because i didn't know any better give it to my husband i'm like i taste it it looked gorgeous because it the the cheese was melted over the top and it was a dark black beautiful color but if you tasted it, it was literally a bowl of ashes I served him for his very first meal. And so, you know, I'm like, don't eat it, don't eat it, just don't eat it. So then the point is, is that, you know, this stuff takes practice and you're never, you're never gonna be perfectly good and you're gonna have to roll with it and think on your feet and just be like, nah. I mean, Julia Child was right. Don't apologize. You're making dinner for somebody, just let it go. So it's not, it's not intentional. It's, it's just literally what happens. <laughs> it's just what happens. And it's going to be that way. We've touched on a number of topics. Um, is there, is there anything you would have liked me to ask that I did not ask? Or is there any other like really widespread misconception about nutrition or diet that you'd like to touch on briefly um if you're listening to this podcast and you suspect that someone you love potentially or you yourself potentially does have an eating disorder i strongly recommend you um get some help and that can be through the national eating disorders association which is nationaleatingdisorders.org very easy to figure out or the international association of eating disorder professionals which is www.iaedp.com um i just kind of wanted to put those out there because it is covid 
people have been isolated for a very long time. You're probably very stressed. It's stressful out there now. And so you might find that more people are at greater risk. And so um, if you need help, that's where you can start. That's it for today's show. My great thanks to Britt Schumann-Humbert for joining me and to Greg Jackson for introducing me to Britt and then masterfully coordinating many production elements for this episode, including making the video companion. I can't wait to see it. You can find Britt's show, RD Unfiltered, as well as subscribe to her YouTube channel by searching Britt RD on YouTube. That's Britt with two T's. You'll thank me for it. Thanks, as always, to Schaefer James for intro and outro music. Today's soundtrack additionally features some of the music heard on episodes of RD Unfiltered. Information about those tracks, links to the episode transcript, YouTube version, and a whole lot more is available on the show page for this episode. Every show page for all 33 flavors of Point of Learning, as well as voluminous supplemental materials, are always available at hornedconsulting.org slash pointoflearningpodcast. If you've ever heard me mention this show page but not known what I'm talking about, that's one way to find it. Or you can scroll down in your podcast app of choice where the episode show page is usually linked. If it isn't, please let me know. I always love to hear from you. Thanks to each and every one of you for listening, sharing, reviewing, and rating this podcast. Five stars. A proud member of the Lyceum Consortium of Education Podcasts, Point of Learning is usually written, recorded, edited, and mixed by me here in sunny Buffalo, but today I'm fortunate for the prodigious contributions of Greg Action Jackson, owner of Action J Productions in Stamford, Connecticut. As he mentioned at the top of the show, you can support this work at patreon.com slash pointoflearningpodcast. I'm Peter Horn, and I'll be back at you just as soon as I can with another episode all about what and how and why we learn. We're speaking today almost halfway through April, which T.S. Eliot famously described as the cruelest month. And you say that's because swimsuit season's coming up. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's actually one of the busiest times of year for a dietitian. That is when most people start to decide they need to get healthy and shed their winter weight. Um, I really hope that instead people this year just like take a breath and are kinder to themselves and are more body positive and be like, yeah, this is, this is who I am and this is me healthy. And, and just try to get more in touch with eating when you're hungry and try to eat what you feel instead of being on a very strict diet and see how and see how it works for you or get a registered dietitian to help you even better how's that nice